room and beyond. We're wanting to walk with Jesus now uh, to the cross and the tomb and beyond in the season of Lent. And uh, Pastor Mike read those particular passages uh, that today will deal with childlike faith. That's what we're looking at this morning. If you haven't caught that yet uh, and all that we've been talking about, that childlike faith, uh, the status, what is the status in the kingdom of God. We've been looking at this kingdom of God. And so what is the status? And so um, I, I, I was just thinking when I did this, I was thinking of Caleb. Caleb, I could have probably this discussion with you. You probably know what G-O-A-T is. I wasn't, I'm not big, a few of you other ones that are sports people. Uh, greatest of all times. And so they even have rankings, and they have competitions. And it's all about who is the greatest in sports, right? Who is the greatest? And so we could sit down, and you'll see some familiar faces up there. You could say, who is the greatest of this year? Uh, who is the greatest of all times, right? And so there's this idea within sports, who's the greatest? And I was thinking of this one that I grew up with. Some of you are too young for Muhammad Ali, the boxer, but we grew up seeing him on television talking about the fact that he was always the greatest, the greatest of all time. And, and I was thinking about uh, Gretzky, right? We would all say, well, he was the greatest, you know, the great one. That's what we referred to. And so there is this idea of greatness, but we have to ask ourselves today, who defines greatness? Who decides? I'm sure if we had these arguments about who's the greatest of all times, I could see Caleb is just, his eyes are twinkling there. He would tell me after who he thinks it is. Uh, who's the greatest of all time? We'd all have different opinions. That's where the good dialogue and the, and the discussion would come from. And it would be dependent upon your sport that you're uh, passionate about also. But, you know, we, we struggle with this. Things haven't changed a whole lot when you think about it. Do you ever find yourself comparing? Do you find yourself trying to outdo others in life? Uh, and it can even happen in the church. Are you trying to impress others? Oh my goodness, as we are online this morning, and, and, and I had a comical thing happen. I'll just tell you, because it's warts and all, eh? just the reality of who we are. Uh, I got here today, and you know, you get so proper for church, and you want to look so good. And I forgot to put my makeup on. I looked in the mirror and went, oh, that's one of the things that happens when you lose an hour. <laughs> Thank you, dear. He keeps telling me I don't need it. But I just chuckled. I laughed. I got everything, you know, all ready. And it's like, oh, dear, the dark circles will be there this morning. So it is what it is. But, you know, sometimes if we're not careful with this whole world that's happened during COVID and we're online and people are seeing us and on the screen, if we're not careful, it's all about, oh, I've got to look really good. I've got to impress people. And so if we're not careful, we can get wrapped up in this. Who's the greatest? And so today we'll be looking at this whole concept of greatest, the status. What is the status in the kingdom of God? Who has status in the kingdom of God? And so our passage today where we started, Jesus uh, was asking, right? Uh, Jesus was saying to them, what were you arguing about on the road? On the road to where? 
Well, the road they're on, <laughs> if you read, like I didn't let Pastor Mike read it, but it was the few verses before that, Jesus now tells them for the second time that he's on his way to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, not the city, but the cross, and he's trying to prepare his disciples that he's going to the cross, he's going to be betrayed, he will be crucified, and he will rise again. And so this is the second time, our reading in Mark this morning, any of you that get that reading, daily reading, we were looking at the reality that he prepares them the third time, trying to get them ready for the idea that he is going to be what? Betrayed, that he's going to be crucified, that he is going to rise again. And so he's trying to prepare them. So on the road to the cross, getting closer, guess what his disciples are arguing about? Who's the greatest? <laughs> and so they're arguing about out of all of them. Remember after the transfiguration now, those three got to be the inner circle and got to go up the mountain with Jesus. So I'm sure they were going around feeling pretty good about themselves. And they're also realizing if Jesus is coming to his earthly end, somebody's got to take over. And who's it going to be? And so there's a lot of argument going on about who is the greatest. It's just shocking that they're arguing about that as Jesus is facing a cross. Someone says that, you know, a selfish heart is a heart that cares about their own trinity. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> it's all about me, myself, and I. If we're not careful, often we can have that dialogue in the church. Oh, I could go down there. I've done a whole series on it's not about me. I've not done it here but this idea that it's about my family, my wishes, what I like in worship, what kind of preacher I like, what kind of color on the wall I like, what kind of color of floor I like, it's about me. Oh, my friends, we are learning today it has nothing to do about you. It has everything to do about him. And so their hearts are focused on their own selfish desires. Their arguing implies that they're placing too much emphasis still on this external earthly kingdom because they're wanting to be the rock stars in it. They're wanting to be the greatest in it. They're wanting to have those dominant positions. As you'll see even later, John and James are asking for what? To sit in his right and his left when he enters his kingdom. They're thinking an earthly kingdom. They're wanting important positions. Jesus knew what they were arguing about. We're told that. And they were silent when he asked them the question, verse 34, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. There's no surprises here, but they knew enough to be quiet about it because they were now embarrassed. And then Jesus is teaching them this moment of humility. He's trying to get their mindset, their worldview changed to get them ready for what is to come. And so sitting down, the verse tells us, that's the position of a rabbi. A rabbi would sit his disciples down when he was going to do a teaching. So you knew when the rabbi said, sit down, that now a big teaching was coming. Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. We heard that this morning, the servant king, that he came to serve and not be served. And so Jesus is saying, you want to be great? Let me show you greatness in my kingdom. It is the person who's willing to be last. Now that's not the most popular message in our day. It's the person who's willing to be last. See, this standard of greatness 
It's not going around exalting yourself. It's literally debasing yourself. John the Baptist said that may he increase and may I decrease. That is the position of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is teaching here is so counterintuitive, so countercultural. It is a radical shift of thinking in all of history that you would be willing to be last. And then he says, a servant of all. Oh, not just a servant to those that scratch your back and you scratch theirs. Notice the all there, that you are willing to serve all, whether they deserve it or not. You're willing to serve them. You know, the last thing a prideful person wants to do is serve someone else. Jesus here uses a different word for servant in Greek. We heard it earlier in our call to worship, the slave, doulos. Paul refers to being a slave of Christ. He was once enslaved to sin, now he is a slave of Christ. This idea of free faith, that I can do whatever I want, it's not true. Because Paul says, I was enslaved to sin, now I'm a slave to the cause of Christ and his kingdom. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. He uses diakonos, which is deacon. It's the word where we get deacon. It is a person who willingly serves. Out of choice has said, I will come and serve. What do you need, pastor? What can we be doing here today? How can we help? It is a person who is willing to come alongside as we give that role, that title, deacon, who's willingly willing to serve. And so Jesus now is trying to get his point across. He's teaching them this, and clearly they didn't get it this far. And so he tries to get his point across. And he says, you want to see who's the greatest? You want to see who's the greatest in my kingdom? Verse 36 and 37. Then he took a child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. See, things are very different today for children. In Jesus' day, children were seen as useless and a nuisance. There are some who believe that's still in the church, unfortunately. A letter dated in uh, 1 BC was from a man named Hilaron to his wife Elise concerning the birth of a new child. Now listen to this short letter. The letter says, If it was a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. That was their opinion of children. And as we can clearly see, female children. Somebody said the ancient world did not have a romantic notion of children. Children added nothing to the family's economy or honor and did not count. They were just another mouth to feed. And in the Greco-Roman world, one could literally throw children away by exposing unwanted infants at birth. The unscrupulous would collect those exposed children and raise them to be gladiators and prostitutes and would even disfigure them so they could use them to beg. That is sad. That is disgusting. That is terrible. So, so basically, it had everything to do whether a child was wanted or not. And so when a child was born, if that child was not wanted, that baby fully born, would be taken and thrown in a heap. 
with other unwanted babies left to die and starve. And that was the very place where uh, Christians would go. And instead of these ones that would take the children and use them for terrible things, prostitution and gladiators, it was the Christians who went in and adopted these children and brought them into the family of God. That is where today orphanages, the whole concept of an orphanage is a Christian idea and institution. Because that which others had cast away God sees as important. But in Jesus' day, people didn't see children that way. They saw them as a nuisance. And so Jesus is now taking children, and he says, you want to be great in my kingdom? Let me show you greatness. And actually, the word is little, because little children, it would be toddlers, and it could actually even include infants when Jesus is saying that. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom? Let me show you greatness. And he takes this baby, he takes this toddler, and he says that to them. See, Jesus' lesson here is about humility. How do we treat people? How do we treat people who are less? I like this story. In one of Zane Gray's Western novels, he writes about an Indian tribe that was fleeing in the night from a stronger tribe. The chief of the weaker tribe instructed his people to wait until midnight. And then they were going to escape under a cover of darkness. And so the tribe now at night came to a swollen river that was so full because of the melted snow. And the river was rushing furiously. And there were many young and sick and elderly in the tribe. And the chief ordered the younger braves, you know those strong braves, he ordered them. And he says, now I want you to carry these ones across the river. I want you to carry the children. I want you to carry the elderly. I want you to carry the sick. And so some of these young braves thought they were too good for that, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to listen, and they went out and crossed through this river, but the current was so powerful that one by one, those single braves were swept away, and some of them drowned. But the other braves who carried children, who carried the elderly, who carried the sick on their backs, found that the added weight of their burdens kept their feet planted on the bottom, and they made it to the other side. We are to care for children. We are to care for the elderly. We are always to care for the weak. That is the example that Christ has done for us. Christ has been our example of humility. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the unworthy I like what somebody said. They put it this way. While we were yet arguing on the road to the cross about who was the greatest, Christ died for us. And he was willing to be the last. And he was willing to be the servant of all. I'm going to ask if Martina, Leah, and Ava would help me with something. Very quick. I'm not going to make you do too much. You're just going to have to stand to get our point across. Jesus then says that when you welcome a child, if you welcome that child, the least, it's like you're welcoming me. And as you welcome me, you've welcomed the Father. So I just want you guys to help for a second here. So Martine, I'm going to have you stand here. Right? Just stand here. And Leah behind her, like this. Can everybody, I know we've got to come over a little bit so people can see you. And then Ava, you come behind. And I want you to put your hands on each other's shoulders. So basically, Jesus is saying, 
When I come up and I welcome Martina, it's like I've mar welcomed, right, Leah, and I've welcomed Ava. And so Jesus is saying that as you welcome and what you do to the least of these, it's like you've done it to Jesus, and ultimately it's like you've done it to the Father. So if I want to bless the Father and I want to bless the Son, then I better be very careful how I welcome the least of these. Amen? Thanks, guys. And, and, and so that is what he is saying there, that if you welcome the least of these, you have welcomed. It's as if you're doing it to Jesus. And if you're doing it to Jesus, it's as if you're doing it to the Father. How we care for one another, how we care for the least and the lost and the left out of society is how we show, it's the greatest example how we show that we are his followers. That second uh, passage, uh, Pastor Mike already let it out in the prayer, Jesus says, I want you to be childlike uh, and, and not childish. Unfortunately, some of the petty stuff that we can get on in the church sometimes is pettiness. It's childishness. And so Jesus is saying, and what the disciples were getting on with was childishness. But what Jesus is saying to them, I don't want you to be childish. I want you to be childlike. Look to the person to your right and left and say, don't be childish. Be childlike. Now, some of the parent spouses are going to use that this week. I can see it coming right? And, and people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples what? Rebuked them. It's like clearly they just didn't get the lesson that was done just before that. And, and we really don't know why the disciples kept the children away from Jesus, but one thing we do know is what? Jesus is angry. Jesus is indignant, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Like we said, first century world children were viewed as socially inferior and invisible, and, and, and children had no rights, they had no influence, they had no standing, they were utterly dependent, utterly vulnerable, and utterly powerless. Notice something. Children are not part of the kingdom when they grow up. Did you get that? What does this passage say? They are the kingdom. Jesus is saying, for such are these. This, they, they belong, the kingdom belongs to them now. It's not like, oh Lord, I hope someday that they'll become part of the kingdom. What Jesus is saying, children are a part of the kingdom. The church needs to get this. So if I'm going to minister as the church of Jesus Christ, one of my top priorities is going to be to minister to children because they're part of the kingdom. You know what the problem is? They don't stay in the kingdom. See, they're already part of the kingdom, but then they come to an age of accountability some say it's around 11, some say it's 12. I believe it's different for every child. When they choose, I don't want a part of this anymore, thank you very much, like the prodigal son, I'm out of here. Give me what's mine and I'm out of here. And they leave the father's house. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, for such is the kingdom of God. For such as, this is if you want to see the kingdom, children are a part of the kingdom we have too often made the kingdom about adults 
and have missed the reality that children are part of the kingdom. They are already. And so it's not someday I hope they can do something in the church. It is even now they can greet at the door. They can pray. They can be involved and read scripture. There's all kinds of things that children can do. I've always said, what does it look like when revival hits a child? What does it look like when a a child gets filled with the Holy Spirit? When a child begins to praise and worship God? Anyone who's been around children's ministry is excited about that because you can see it. You can sense it. You know you're around it. You know when you hear a child pray, you hear the kingdom. You hear God's voice because they pray in such ways that would even shame us. You know the story about the little guy when the pastor said, we're praying, we're praying for rain. It was out there and the little guy showed up to church next time with an umbrella. Nobody else showed up with an umbrella. The little guy did because he believed. He believed when he prayed that God was going to bring rain to the farmers, the rain was going to come. And so children have that kind of faith that Jesus is saying, you want to see the kingdom? Let me show you the kingdom. Of course, every child has to come to their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They have to make a decision for Christ. But Jesus is saying, at this point, little children are already part of the kingdom. See, we've done a terrible disservice. I'm not going to speak about the Church of the Nazarene, but I will speak about my roots, and I'll speak more about our family's understanding. When, when in the Salvation Army I was raised, and my grandmother, when, when a baby was born, you couldn't get that baby to the church quick enough. Why? Because you had to do a christening. Because heaven forbid, if something happened to that baby, they'd be lost for eternity. What does our scripture just tell us? They're under God's grace at that point in their lives. They're under his forgiveness. They're already part of his kingdom. What we want to do as the church and why we should be on our knees is we're praying that they'll stay in the kingdom and they'll be follow Jesus all the days of their lives and they don't need to go out and they don't need to squander their lives in in, in a far off country and be full of sin and come back to the church broken and, and, and messes God wants them to stay. They're part of his kingdom, and he wants them to stay in the kingdom. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, need to do everything we can to help them in that. And so I want to encourage those today that have been involved in children's ministries throughout the year, little as much when God is in it. God is seeing what you have done. And I want to encourage the parents and different ones who have raised their children in the ways of the Lord. God hasn't forgotten them. God knows what has happened in those younger years. And God can bring that seed to fruition in a moment, in any day. And we need to continue to pray as the church that we need to believe those ones that have been in VBS and those ones that have been in Sunday school and those ones that were used to an altar of prayer around the the table and all of that that was done it's never lost in God's kingdom and he can reach out to anyone at any age and 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 receive him back into his kingdom I remember my stepdad would share his testimony so many times I've shared it a few times here 65 years old when he got saved his mother was a praying mother she had been totally healed of cancer back down in Tyne Valley and 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 she would he would come in staggering drunk in the night and the light would be on under her door and he could hear his mother praying for him and he didn't want anything to do with it until his 65th year, 
His mom was now dead and gone. His mom had gone on to be with the Lord in glory. But God answered that mother's prayer when her son bowed the knee in Pennsylvania at Uncle Verbal's altar call. Mom and Keith both bowed the knee, walked the aisle and bowed the knee. Later in life, both of them had walked away from their Christian upbringing. Both of them had been raised in the Lord. Both of them had heard the word of God in Sunday school and all kinds of places. And they had walked away from it. But God hadn't given up on them. And I want to encourage you today, God does not give up on our families, those that we've raised in the Lord You want to be great in God's kingdom? Receive children the way God does. That's what this passage is saying. This passage is saying you want to be great? Oh, it's great to receive dignitaries. It's great to receive adults and older people. Yes, there's a place for that. But, you know, there's something that's so important that when a child walks in a room that's looking up at everyone, that you would bow down and shake their hand first once in a while. Because that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the kingdom looks like. I, I, I love the idea of children coming into church and feeling that this is their home as much as a parent or a grandparent. I, I don't know how that works. I think it happens. It starts with our attitude for how we see children, how important they are to us as the church of Jesus Christ. In a day, our world hasn't changed a whole lot, has it? In our day, abortion is rampant, exploitation of children is rampant, but the church is supposed to be the place that is countercultural, that we show the world how children should be loved and adored and respected. And so Jesus took these children in his arms, it says, and he blessed them. So here's the contrast. The disciples wanted to keep them away, wanted them to be quiet. Oh, they're disturbing me. Look at them making noise. (laughs) Praise God, hallelujah. I say it sounds like little birds singing in the church. I'd love to hear a lot more of it. And so instead of pushing them aside, Jesus does the opposite. He goes and picks them up and blesses them. And you know the original Greek here says that he did it individually with them. It's not like he just grabbed a crowd of kids, bless you kids, and went home. Every child he picked up and spent quality time with every child, and then he blessed them before they went their way. And someone said, this should indeed be the attitude of the church. So you want to be great? Receive children as Jesus did. Now here's the point we're getting to. And you want to be great? Receive Jesus like a child. Remember, not child-ish, childlike. Receive Jesus like a child would receive Jesus. Verse 15, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Those are pretty hard words. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Notice Nicodemus came in the dark of night. He didn't want anyone to know that he was talking to Jesus. Jesus said, unless you become what? Born again. Actually, we often will say born from above because it also can be interpreted born from above or born again. What is born? An adult? An infant. An infant is born. 
So he's saying to Nicodemus, who's coming in the dark of the night, who is this elder in the church of that day, (laughs) religious leader, you want to come into God's kingdom? Guess what, Nicodemus? You've got to be born again. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to let go all this pretense and you need to enter into the kingdom. And so what is it about children? We could spend all week talking about it, and we will not. Just share three quick little things, what I think today that Jesus is saying, how we need to become childlike. We need to become childlike in our faith. Children are innocent and sincere. They're eager to learn. They're teachable. Remember, we're talking little children. Humble, trusting, open. Simple, joyous, spontaneous, they're unpretentious. So how much are you like a little child? Innocent, sincere, eager to learn, teachable, humble, open, joyful, simple, spontaneous, unpretentious. See, this is what Jesus is trying to get through here to his disciples who are arguing about who's the greatest. And the other thing is you need to become dependent like a child. Oh, great, Pastor Betty. I've just spent my whole life talking about I'm independent. I'm an independent woman, right? We teach our children to be what? Independent. Don't be dependent upon anyone. You've got to make this and do this for yourself. And this is going counterculture because Jesus is saying here, you need to be totally dependent. If you want to have childlike faith, then just like a little child cannot work, cannot provide for themselves, cannot really do anything, they are totally dependent upon their parents for everything. You need to be dependent upon your Holy Father for everything. And so you want to have childlike faith you need to become dependent. I like what the Reformation Study Bible says, small children model true believers who know they have nothing to bring and everything to receive. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing I can bring. And so we need to understand about dependence. We also need to understand about receiving Receiving God's kingdom as a gift. Open hands. Verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not, what? Receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. See, children are great. Little children love gifts, love goodies, love treats, love surprises. You never hear them say, well, I can buy my own. Now, that might happen when they get older. They just love it, and the hands are wide open. And remember the little acts that a lot of our kids did as infants? What? Maybe that's what we need to say today. Lord, (laughs) I'm ready to receive. We prayed last week for the glory of God to come into our lives. Lord, I'm ready to receive. Like, Like a child who is ready to receive a treat, I'm here to receive, God, what you have for me today. And more importantly, I'm ready to receive the gift of grace and forgiveness that Christ has paid for for me on the cross. Unless you receive that, you have no place in God's kingdom. You have to receive his, his sacrifice 
And you know what some people have said, and it's true? That children are more receptive to the gospel than adults. That's why it's so important, children's ministry, youth ministry. Most missionaries who are on the mission field today have accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and said yes to the call at the age of eight. Not 18, not 28, eight. I praise God that at any age we can receive the gift of salvation, but isn't it wonderful to see that at a young age children know what it is to receive, and children simply receive the gospel, uncomplicated. (laughs) They're just excited to do so, that God paid the price for me. And so as I bring this to a close today, Jesus turns the world upside down for those disciples. And if we can wrap our minds around this today, we also can understand that Jesus is a different king of a different kingdom. He wears a crown of thorns. He is the Christ, God in the flesh, but we see him broken on a cross. True greatness we learn is from and through Jesus Christ. It's determined by powerlessness, uh, vulnerability, and humility not about on the road talking about who's the greatest it's determined by service and sacrifice a willingness to be last my friends jesus's kingdom is an upside down kingdom it will not look like the kingdoms of this world and we've got to get our minds around this his kingdom turns our world's kingdoms and systems and plans and purposes upside down and if all of us need to be careful and some of us i think when we've been walking with the lord a little longer and we've been in church for a while if we're not careful ambition can rule over us and even on the road to church we can be arguing about who's the greatest oh dare i say whose family is the greatest in small community watch out And we can find ourselves arguing about those kinds of things. And the only way we can deal with that uh, ambition of the flesh, as Paul would say, is to substitute it with an ambition for his upside-down kingdom, where we're willing to say, Lord, I will be last. Lord, I'm willing to serve. Lord, I'm willing to receive children the way you receive children. And Lord Jesus, I want to receive you today like a child would receive you and your salvation. That is the only way, my friends. I'm going to ask the worship team to come that we can see his kingdom. Karl Barth, anyone who has studied uh, will know that Karl Barth was known as one of the great theologians. And... Um, one of the things that was happening was he was coming towards the end of his life, and there was a Q&A at the University of Chicago back in 1962, and a student asked Barth if he could summarize his whole life's work, right, in theology. Now, people who have been students of Barth and who have read Barth and were studying Barth, of course, they're all leaning in. They're all wanting to hear what this great theologian has to say about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, yes, I can. In the words of a song, I learned at my mother's knee. Some of you learned it in Sunday school. Some of you learned it on a grandmother's knee. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
My friends, we need to receive faith. And maybe some of us need to renew our faith like a child today. Won't you stand with us? I want to encourage you today. If, if you want to say, Lord, I just need to go counterculture today. I'm, I'm in a world that all around me, they're talking about who's the greatest. And I just want to say today, Lord, I want to be one who's willing to go last. This is, going, you're not, this is not going to be a big altar call, this kind of call. <laughs> I want to be last. Who wants to be last today? I want to be a servant. Make me a servant, Lord, humble and meek. Lord, I, I want to be the example of Jesus to children in my life. And not just my own grandchildren, but the children of this church and the children in the community. And Lord, today, I want to be like a child. I want to be humble. I want to be totally dependent. And I want to receive this gift of salvation just like a child. I'm going to encourage you, if that is your desire today, why don't you come and stand at the front of the church, not as a sign to us, but as a sign to him. Doesn't matter what age you are, you can make that commitment to him today. And you know what? Often it'll be the children that will respond because the adults will be what? Pride. Can't go down there. Can't do that. I'll do it at home when no one's around. Right? And that's our challenge today. It's not about that. It's about being childlike. And so as we sing this song, one other thing about this song, I'll tell you one thing. It doesn't matter where I've been in seniors' homes, in residence, down here at the manor. They're not responding. They don't respond to a thing. You'll be singing. You'll be uh, preaching. Nothing. And the moment we start to sing this song, eyes are lifted. Mouths begin to say it out. Toes begin to move. There is a resonance that those uh, seniors that are now even non-communicative, that in that younger memory of a, a Sunday school somewhere or a grandmother's knee or a parent's lap, they sang this song. And I tell you, it's one of the most powerful songs that's ever been written. As Carl Barth said, I hope you know it on your heart. I hope it's a reality for you. Let's sing this and then we'll pray. Come if you want to come today and do business with God.